Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 510. Welcome in. Hope you're doing very, very well. Um, I want to start with a personal message. I want to say thank you to everybody listening to today's episode. Um, thank you so very much. I know that I know the last couple months have been hard for people listening because I know it's been hard for me. Um, and I, I want to say just thank you the, to the people who've stuck around, been doing a lot of fluctuation. Uh, I got some updates. I have a date now that I'm picking up the canopy. So soon, canopy will be behind me. The road trip that is now had been postponed multiple months because of a um, manufacturing delay. Finally, that delay is coming to an end. I'm going to start the road trip and drive across the country and make podcasts. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. Um, number two, man, I, I'm done working at the restaurant. Today is my first weekend of the entire football season where I get to watch football live. I'm not going to be working at a restaurant with a TV in the corner trying to see what's happening in the game and then I, I get off work at like 9 o'clock and then go try to catch up on all the games that night. No, no. I get to watch football live today. And that's something I never knew. I, I, I never fully appreciated that part of my job until now that I didn't. I, 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 how do I put this? Working at the restaurant where I couldn't watch football live because I was working made me really appreciate it now. So, man, I'm so grateful. I, this is the first time uh, in like two months that I finally feel caught up and ready to go. Um I slept eight hours last night. I woke up early. Here we are recording the podcast. There's one segment today that I recorded yesterday. It's going to be kind of weird. I'll splice it in, do the best I can. Um, I went to the Mariners game on Wednesday, my first ever baseball game. I grew up a Mariners fan, never went, became bitter, walked away. Uh, I watched them. My first ever time going to a Mariners game, I watched them win with a walk-off at bat uh, in the bottom of the ninth, uh, last game of the year at home. I watched them win their first playoff game in 21 years. Yesterday, Luis Castillo uh, dominated. It's exciting. I've been saying goms all day, which go M's, but I put it together. Goms, goms, goms. I just want to say life is good. I'm really happy. Um, and today's episode basically exists for the sole purpose of talking about the Peyton Manning Bowl, we will call it. The game between Peyton Manning's two former teams that he both won Super Bowls with, Indy and Denver. What a horrific Frankenstein disaster of a football game. Let's talk about it. On Thursday night football, we had a truly horrible game. Indy beat Denver 12-9 in overtime, which, of course, the game went to overtime. It was an absolute... I don't want to say... Um, it was a... It was a show. It was something, man. Maybe the game of the decade, but not the best game of the decade. Maybe the worst game of the decade. 12 punts, 7 field goals, no touchdowns. It was so bad. And you know it's bad when the broadcasters doing the game, people like Al Michaels, who are incredibly professional, are dogging on the game and making fun of it as it happens. I You almost never see that. You see like people, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck might do that occasionally. They're a little bit more cavalier. Al Michaels is a pro's pro. There was a moment where, and best moment of the game, he tries to like kind of salvage the vibe of the game. He goes, sometimes a game can be so bad, it's good. You know what I'm talking about? He says that to Kirk Herbstreit. Kirk Herbstreit goes, 
No! This is an awful football game. And I, <laughs> I love it, man. It was truly terrible. I, uh... I don't know, man. The only way to really cover this game, in my opinion, is to start by talking about Indy. We'll go through what happened with the Colts. Then we'll talk about Denver. I have a lot to say about Denver. I think Denver, they lost this game. And I would say Denver lost this game more than Indy won this game. So let's talk about it. Somehow the Colts won on Thursday night. I'm not really sure how to put this. I mean, I, I couldn't believe they won. I, I remember watching them before halftime. Matt Ryan has the ball burst in town on the 15 yard line, gets sacked two plays in a row. It's third and 38. And I'm like, this team is hopeless. There's no way they're going to win this football game. And lo and behold, they tied the game at the end of the fourth quarter. They sent the game to overtime, won in overtime. And it's pretty clear Matt Ryan, the Colts new quarterback is not going to be able to save them. This past offseason, Indy got rid of their quarterback, Carson Wentz. They said, ah, the quarterback isn't working. We're going to move on. They brought in Matt Ryan. The expectation was Matt Ryan is going to solve the problem of the Colts. I've been saying this for weeks now. Clearly, that's not true. Matt Ryan isn't playing great. He's got five touchdown passes, seven interceptions, a ton of fumbles this year. I like him. I'm biased. I, I like Matt Ryan. That postgame interview he gave... At the desk, Richard Sherman, Andrew Whitworth, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tony Gonzalez. I mean, it, it's fun, man. I, I like Matt Ryan as a human being. And he seems like a very good presence in the locker room, like a stable guy. People listen to him. I like him. And, again, I, I acknowledge I'm biased, but I do think that it's lazy to blame all of the Colts' problems and struggles on Matt Ryan. That's just... I think that's a lazy take. We always love to blame the quarterback, and that comes with the job. But I believe Matt Ryan could win if the Colts could build a good enough team around him. But the Colts are in trouble because the team they have isn't great. They've got a lot of problems on their roster. They do not have a great receiving core. they got Michael Pittman Jr., uh, rookie receiver Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati, He's slowly making a name for himself, but, like, this is not a great receiving core at all. And the glaring problem, the really, really big problem in Indy, is their offensive line. Once upon a time, uh, maybe at the end of the Andrew Luck era, when Jacoby Brissett was their quarterback, maybe even, I would say definitely the Phillip Rivers year, the Colts had a great offensive line. One of the very best offensive lines in all of football. In case somehow it's not clear, that's no longer true. The Colts do not have one of the best offensive lines in football anymore. They used to. They've still got a couple good players, but man, is it bad. The Colts no longer have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Those days have come and gone, and they're giving up a ton of sacks. Guys are hurt. They are constantly reshuffling the offensive line. The Colts are 2-2-1, and and... The big names in Indy, head coach Frank Reich, quarterback Matt Ryan, these guys are at risk of losing their jobs. Their quarterback, Matt Ryan, had two interceptions throwing over the middle where he was laid over the middle, didn't see uh, the Broncos' safety. And I, I thought they were problematic. And so the rest of the year for Matt Ryan is all about convincing the Colts why they should keep him next year. I'm not sure he can convince them 
that he should be kept around. I think if they've got an opportunity to maybe draft Bryce Young out of Alabama, they should pull the trigger on that. But I, I think that's about it. I mean, I really, I, it's so hard to make an argument that they should bring in another quarterback for like the fifth time year in a row. You can't have a new quarterback every year of your franchise. It's not going to work. And Matt Ryan's good enough to win. You got to build a good team around him. So if you're not in striking distance of Bryce Young, I would not draft a quarterback. I think you got to double down and keep building your football team. Build a team that can win around Matt Ryan. Um, like Will Levis is the guy everyone's talking about after Bryce Young. Will Levis is so good. I'm like, oh, man, Will Levis. I've watched Will Levis at Kentucky this year. He's had moments. Florida, not a great game. Ole Miss, not impressive. He had a an opportunity at the end of the game to win against Ole Miss. He didn't deliver. And I'm like, that's the guy you want? Okay. I don't know that Will Levis is really an upgrade over Matt Ryan. He's younger. But, like, you got to build the team around your quarterback. And I just, replacing the quarterback every year is not a viable option for the Colts. So I'm really curious how the rest of the year goes for Matt Ryan. I'm rooting for Matt Ryan. I want to see Matt Ryan prove his worth and make it worthwhile and and make Colts fans believe he should be their guy next year. I want to see the fan base convinced, yeah, this is our guy. Right now they're not sold. And I can't blame them because Thursday night was ugly. But I'm really rooting for Matt Ryan to show to them, to me, to the football world, why he deserves to be the quarterback next year in Indy. Again, though, I got to repeat this. The Colts offensive line is a disaster. Matt Ryan got sacked six times on Thursday. They had a rookie at left tackle. And again, I want to repeat this. That moment before halftime, it was first and 10 on the 15-yard line. And Kirk Herbstreit was talking about how are the Colts, they're down six to nothing. Are they about to take the lead right now and score a touchdown? That was the vibe. Oh my gosh, this team is in striking distance of a touchdown. Then Matt Ryan got sacked two plays in a row. It led to third and 38. Horrible, horrible offensive line play. That's that's the biggest problem in Indy. The receiving core, Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce getting better. That offensive line isn't going to win you any games. I don't care who your quarterback is. That what they, we saw on Thursday was awful. The offensive line is the number one problem in Indy right now. Now, the Colts' defense deserves a lot of credit. They made some good plays, man. Uh, a big part of why they won was their defense. And a couple plays that stand out. Kenny Moore made a great play in covers where Denver threw the ball to Andrew Beck down the seam. It was a good throw, but Kenny Moore got his hand in there, knocked the ball out. What a great play. Great coverage by Kenny Moore. And then Stephon Gilmore. Oh, my gosh. He made two really big plays at the end of the game. He picked off Russell Wilson in the end zone at the end of the fourth quarter on third and four. That, without that interception, the Colts don't tie the game up again. I mean, the Colts don't make it a 9-9 to game at force overtime. Stephon Gilmore basically made the plays to win the game for the Colts. Fourth and one, he knocked the ball away at the end of the game in the end zone again, this time in overtime. Again, those two plays Stephon Gilmore made. Interception in the end zone and a broken up, you know, pass breakup in the end zone. Indy would not have won without those two plays. Stephon Gilmore, former defensive player of the year, looked like it on Thursday. So we've talked about Indy. Offensive line is a problem. The defense is playing pretty good. Matt Ryan, we'll see if he can prove his worth the rest of the year. 
I'm worried that Frank Reich is going to get fired, their head coach. But now let's talk about Denver. The Denver Broncos were a complete disaster on Thursday night football. There were so many missed opportunities. Early on, Jerry Judy dropped what should have been a touchdown. Russell Wilson, he's going to get hated on a lot in the next couple weeks. And and even by me, I'm going to say some stuff that's not very flattering of Russell Wilson. He made a great throw to Jerry Judy down the seam in the end zone. It hit Jerry Judy in the shoulder pads. Wasn't a touchdown. That should be a touchdown. That's a drop by Jerry Judy. That's a problem. But then later, Russ had him open down the left sideline. Totally missed him. So it's not like Russ is without blame here. This was legitimately the worst game I have ever seen Russell Wilson play and probably was the worst game of his entire football career. The worst game of his life. Russ had two not bad, not cringy, horrible, horrible, awful interceptions. I think Russ threw the worst interception of the year by any quarterback so far. His first interception was, I would call it the worst interception by any quarterback so far this football season. It was a throw where he basically panicked under pressure. Pressure's in his face. He just chucks it up in the middle of the field into coverage. I walked away thinking like, what in the world was that? I don't know what you're doing, dude. You look left. It's not there. He just kind of flicked it up over the middle. I, I, I can't believe he did that. That's <laughs> You don't see rookie quarterbacks do that. That's a veteran quarterback, a guy who people have talked about. I've said the words. He's a future Hall of Famer. Not with that decision making. Russell Wilson is playing himself out of the Hall of Fame this year. It's really awful. His second interception, I think, wasn't as horrible as a decision. It's it's pretty hard to top what he did in that first one, to just panic and throw it up for grabs. Like, that can never happen. Especially, he didn't even look at the defense. That first interception, he just chucks it up in the middle of the field. Like, you can't do that. That's stuff Johnny Manziel used to do. But his second interception came third and four. Two minutes and 13 seconds of ball on the 13-yard line. You're up. You're leading the game 9-6. to six. And Russell Wilson got picked off in the end zone. He was late. He threw the ball behind his receiver. That's a great play by Stephon Gilmore, making him pay. I mean, that's a good defender in football. It's hard to play corner in the NFL. But if the quarterback is ever wrong, late, or slightly inaccurate, you got to make him pay. And that's what a good corner does because you can't beat a perfect throw. But you can, any the margin for error is really low in the NFL. And if they miss that margin, you got to make them pay. Stephon Gilmore made Russell Wilson pay third and four, end of the game, in the end zone. But that second interception gave Indy the ball back with two minutes left to go. And it was a baffling play call. I, I don't know what you're doing. You're up nine to six, two minutes left in the game. Ball on the 13-yard line. Run the football. Run the clock out. Kick a field goal. You're up 12 to 6. You probably win. I cannot believe they threw the ball on third and four on the 13-yard line. It's so simple, and yet Denver didn't do it. I, I don't know what to make of that. Honestly, I feel bad for the Broncos fan base. Did you see people? I, I don't I don't know how many a lot of people probably turned the game off. It was horrible. When the game got tied 9-9 nine to nine and the Colts kicked their field goal to send the game to overtime, 
The Broncos fans were just leaving the stadium. They were like, we're fed up, we're done, we're leaving. I feel bad for Denver, man. They traded for Russell Wilson. They gave up a lot to get him. And then before the year even started, Denver gave him a five-year, $245 million contract. So you trade a bunch to get him. You paid him a ton of money. And now Russ is playing horrible football. Like truly just atrocious, awful, bad football. I don't... It's baffling. It's wild to me. You know who's loving it, though? Seattle Seahawks fans. I was just in Seattle on Wednesday. Oh, my goodness. I talked to people. I was in the beer garden in T-Mobile Park where the Mariners play, listening to people talk about how excited they are to see their traitorous quarterback, Russell Wilson, leave and do terrible. Russ wanted out. Things are going to be better. The grass is greener over there. Goes to Denver. He is stinking it up. He's playing horrible. You know what the Broncos need? They need Geno Smith to rescue them. He's playing better than Russell Wilson right now. It's also worth noting Russell Wilson only ran the ball four times for 22 yards. Someone's got to tell that guy to run the football. Run it for yards. Slide. Protect yourself. Don't take hits. Absolutely. But it makes no sense that Russell Wilson isn't using one of the best skill sets he has, which is using his legs and running the football. It's like he's trying to be something he's not. He's he's a good quarterback throwing the football, but part of his game is his ability to run. He's not doing it. I don't know what's going on there. It's very weird to me. And I, I don't know why. Who is in his ear that's not encouraging him, hey, bro, you should run the football more. Go get yards. Make the defense have to defend you with your legs. One of those voices that's in his ear is Nathaniel Hackett, the Broncos head coach. Seems like a nice man. I don't... I feel bad for him. Although he's getting paid, I don't know. I, he, he's clearly in over his head. He's a guy that... The Peter principle is that people get promoted until they fail. I don't know that Nathaniel Hackett should have been any more than an offensive coordinator. He's never been a head coach before. And boy, does it show. It's bad in Denver. Denver looks really, really unprepared, frankly. There was one play where Russ had his tight end, Eric Thompson, or Eric, what is it? Tom Linson, Eric Tomlinson, open down the seam. Tomlinson gets a free release, meaning no one jams at the line of scrimmage. He's he's running free, no one open. All he's got to do is turn his head to the quarterback, get your eyes around, catch the football. He's wide open. Doesn't do it. He hasn't been coached that, hey, if you get a free release, turn your head to the, the quarterback, catch the football. Russ throws in the ball. Looks like a bad throw. That's on the tight end. The tight end's got to get his head around. You get a free release, you're wide open. Catch the football, dude. What are you doing? He didn't expect the football. That's, I think, bad coaching. I, oh man, all around Denver looked unprepared. They ran the wrong routes. There was a moment where Russ tried to audible. It got missed. He threw the ball deep. The receiver didn't go deep. Guys aren't looking for the football. Denver looks like a team that doesn't know their own offense. And again, that's on the coaching staff. That's a coach not translating the offense well enough and teaching it well enough to their players. They're unprepared. They've got plays in that the team doesn't know. 
How does that happen? That's not a problem on any other NFL team. That's on the coaching staff, and that's mostly on the head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, a guy who was last year the Green Bay Packers' offensive coordinator. He's an offensive coach, and his offense looks absolutely atrocious. Nathaniel Hackett, in every single game this year that I've watched with Denver, has had a moment where it's just painful to watch, and you're like, what are you doing? What's happening here? How is this possible? The moment in this game was that third and four, end of the game, two minutes and 13 seconds left on the 13-yard line, and they throw the football for some reason. I'll never understand that one. Again, Broncos fans, they were leaving the game as the game went to overtime. They didn't even want to watch. They were done. They're like, we're fed up. We're leaving. They could not believe their team let Indy back into the game. And that leads me to the fourth and one. We got to talk about that fourth and one. The game came down to this. It's overtime. Denver's down three points. They have to score. They've got the ball fourth and one on their own five-yard line. What does the defense do? They played man coverage. On the right side of the field, Denver ran a rub concept, meaning uh, one defender runs vertical. They run a slant underneath it. The defenders run into each other, basically. The slant comes wide open underneath. And what is Russell Wilson doing? Looking the other direction. On the right side of the field, you got K.J. Hamler wide open on a slant. It's a rub concept. Pre-snap, you go, hey, if we get man coverage, that's my matchup I want. And he's looking to the other side of the field. It's a quarterback who looks like he doesn't know the offense very well. That's a terrible, terrible sentence. Your $245 million quarterback. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it looks like he doesn't know the offense very well. That can't happen. (laughs) K.J. Hamler is like slamming his helmet. He's really pissed off, and I don't blame him at all. Justified. What a miss. You can't do that. Again, Denver looks like a team that doesn't know their own offense, and that's on the coaching staff. That's on Nathaniel Hackett. Denver has the worst red zone offense in the league. And we were lucky. The game was off of the watch, but we got one gift as an audience. Richard Sherman, a former Seattle Seahawks teammate of Russell Wilson, was in Denver, at the game, working as a broadcaster. A guy who lost a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson and is bitter about it. He's angry. Remember when Russell Wilson threw an interception on the goal line to Malcolm Butler? Richard Sherman is still bitter about that. And hearing Richard Sherman talk about Russell Wilson is must-watch TV. You have to track that down. It's amazing. There's bad blood there. He is not happy. He does not like Russ at all. And there's a lot of pain when the, the past is brought up. He can't contain himself. It's it's hilarious and it's I, I, I feel guilty saying this. It's very entertaining to watch a Richard Sherman in pain, frustrated, talking about some of the Deep frustration he has with his former quarterback, Russell Wilson. That is amazing television. And he made a great point. The the Broncos' defense played outstanding. They sacked Matt Ryan six times. The Colts did not lead until they kicked the field goal in overtime. The entire game, Denver had the lead, and Denver's defense played a hell of a game. 
And Denver had opportunities on offense, man. They had the ball multiple times. I mean, Denver missed so many opportunities in the red zone, in key moments to score and win the game. And when your quarterback is making $245 million and not delivering, that's a massive problem. Your defense plays lights out, and your expensive quarterback, the highest paid guy on the team, highest paid guy on the team isn't delivering. Oh, that that is where division in the locker room is created. That's what Richard Sherman talked about, and he's right. That's what happened in Seattle. So in summary, Russell Wilson looks straight up awful. He deserves a ton of criticism. Russ is going to get criticized and made fun of. There's memes galore. He deserves all of it. When you're paid that much money, when you put that target on your back, you sign that contract, you have to deliver. I said it with Kyler Murray. I'll say it with Russell Wilson. You can't make that much money and not deliver. It's shameful and embarrassing the way Russell Wilson is playing. He knows that. I've never doubted Russ in my career more than than this moment. He looks lost. And I'm not sure, you know, Trevor Moad, uh, a guy who gave a lot of advice and was an advisor of sorts to Russell Wilson, he died. And and I, this that's the guy Russ really needs right now. He needs Trevor Moad in his ear encouraging him. And unfortunately, he doesn't have that. Also, you might know Russ's dad passed away many, many years ago. I don't know who the person is that advises Russell Wilson, who's in his ear encouraging him. He needs someone, though. I, I don't know who that person could be. I don't, I don't follow that detail anymore. I, I don't know what anymore, I, I should say. After Trevor Moad died, I don't know who stepped up to become Russ's new advisor or motivator or encourager or whatever you want to call it. And, and it looks like he doesn't have one. He looks lost emotionally and, and confidence-wise. And, and it, it's that's tough. When, when the guy you lean on passes away, what do you do? I don't know. But Russ looks like a guy who is lacking in confidence, who doesn't have anyone in his corner helping encourage him. And I, I'm worried he's not going to be able to solve it. We've seen guys make a lot of money, get massive contracts. Joe Flacco got a massive contract in Baltimore. It didn't work out. They had to get rid of him. We, we've seen guys sign really big contracts and it not work. And I, I worry Russ could be one of those guys that doesn't work. Now, if they get a new coach, maybe that's different. Maybe they hire Sean Payton, the former coach of the Saints. I, maybe they, there, there's a solution here that's possible. But right now, Russ looks lost. And I worry Nathaniel Hackett, their head coach, might get fired. Like soon even. He might not last the next couple weeks. It's really bad. It's awful. I, I feel bad for the people there. I feel bad for their fan base. Denver needs help, and, I, and I'm very, very curious to see how the rest of their year goes because right now things are not good in Denver. <laughs> Again, the Peyton Manning Bowl is what I want to call it. Is that a bad name? The Peyton Manning Bowl? Denver against Indy? I like that thought. Um... Let's talk briefly about Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff. I have a concern about Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff. He's playing outstanding. 
And I, I'm loving watching the guy. I, I find myself rooting for Jared Goff as a person, as a quarterback. I, I like him. I like his story. I like who he is. He, I like the way he carries himself. He donates a lot of money to charity. Jared Goff is an easy per, person to root for. And right now, Detroit leads the NFL in scoring. They've scored 140 points so far this year. Unfortunately, their defense has given up 141. They are first in scoring and also first in points allowed. They're one in three and they're losing games. And it's not Jared Goff's fault. Jared Goff, their quarterback's playing outstanding. Lights out. And I just hope that Jared Goff stays disciplined because it's really easy when you're losing to start pressing and taking extra chances and start forcing throws. He's got to just do his job. Do your job and let the defense do theirs. Again, the most points scored in the NFL is Detroit, but also the most points allowed, also Detroit. That's a problem. Your defense is letting you down significantly. And I worry, because we've seen quarterbacks do it before, I worry that Jared Goff will stop playing at a high level and start playing hero ball. I don't want that to happen, but that's my concern because all he's got to do, try and score every time you have the football. That's not a realistic, it's, it's, a, it's a goal. It's not a realistic thing you can accomplish, but every time you got the football, you try to move the ball, you do the best you can. Right now, he's doing that job amazingly. They lead the NFL in scoring. But you, you try to score every drive. You encourage your team, teammates to be a positive force on your, in your locker room. That's all you can do. I really hope Jared Goff doesn't let losing games impact his decision-making because so far, it's been outstanding. And I just, Jared, I, I encourage you, keep doing what you're doing. Do not let losing pull you down and impact your decision-making because right now you're killing it and I'm begging you, Jared Goff, please do not play hero ball. All right. Um, let's talk about NFL Week 5. This weekend is NFL Week 5. There's a bunch of games I find really exciting. I want to talk about the game that I... There are two games I'm really most excited for. Number one is this. Steelers at Buffalo. Should be really interesting. Uh, because Pittsburgh Steelers rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett is making his first ever NFL start. And yes, Buffalo should be the favorite in this game. They're a better football team. They're a Super Bowl favorite. However, because Buffalo is missing a lot of key players on defense, there's a chance that Kenny Pickett actually does pretty well. I think he's going to... Like, the receiving core in Pittsburgh has a lot of great names. Uh, they got... George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth. They got guys who can catch the football there, and their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, is going to give them a chance. He's going to put the ball out there. Tredavious White, the number one corner in Buffalo, is not playing. A lot of their, I mean, their secondary is banged up. I actually think there's a chance Kenny Pickett makes some noise here. He might make some mistakes. In fact, I guarantee he's going to make some mistakes. But he also, I think he could put up a lot of yards and some points and have a lot of fun here. So, Keep your eye on Pittsburgh and Buffalo this weekend. Another interesting game, not the number two game. I'll get to my number two game that I'm excited for in a moment. But Lions at Patriots is interesting because both teams are one and three. And on one end, you got a huge opportunity for Detroit. Detroit 
is playing against the Patriots who do not have their starting quarterback, Mac Jones. He's doubtful. Their backup quarterback, Brian Hoyer, is injured. So uh, Bailey Zapp, the Patriots' third-string rookie quarterback, is making his first-ever NFL start. That's a great, great piece of news for the Detroit Lions. However, on the flip side, that young rookie quarterback, Bailey Zapp, is playing against the Detroit Lions defense, who has given up more points than any other defense in the NFL this year. So there's a chance he does really well against a bad defense. So keep your eye on this game. I, I think Lions at Patriots, two teams that are both one and three. The Lions are better than their record would suggest, I believe. And man, is it an interesting, interesting matchup in New England. Now, my number two game that I'm excited for, I, I know it's the third one I've talked about, but this is the game that I, oh my goodness, I am fascinated. It's like a science experiment. It's Dolphins at Jets. For the Jets, it's their quarterback, Zach Wilson's second start of the year. He won last week after uh, a rough start. He pulled it together in the fourth quarter, won the game. And the huge storyline here, in my opinion, Jets quarterback making his second start. That's awesome. But I'm so fascinated because Miami Dolphins starting quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, is not playing this week. He's in concussion protocol. He's not going to play. And their backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, is going to play. A kid from Miami, by the way. And Teddy Bridgewater has some experience starting in the NFL. He also has had a long week to prepare. The last game was Thursday for Miami. So they've had more than a whole week now to prepare for this game. And I have been told all year a lot of different quarterbacks could succeed running this Miami Dolphins offense. They've got a high-level sports car of an offense. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. Tyreek Hill is questionable. But if Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle both play, we get to find out how valuable really is Tua. Does Teddy Bridgewater do incredible? Is he going to be awesome? Could we learn that, hey, Tua's good, but he's actually not that valuable because a lot of quarterbacks would succeed in this offense. I'm really fascinated to see what if Teddy Bridgewater does amazing this week on the road at the Jets? It's not too cold yet. Not going to be any snow in New York. I'm excited and fascinated to see what happens with Teddy Bridgewater starting for Miami this week in NFL Week 5. Seattle at New Orleans. Seattle is 2-2. Two and two. The Saints are likely starting their backup quarterback, Andy Dalton. And for me... This is a great opportunity for Seattle quarterback Geno Smith to start 3-2 and two with Seattle. And by the way, outperform once again the former quarterback in Seattle, Russell Wilson, who started the year 2-3 and three in Denver. That's the storyline. I'm not that interested in Andy Dalton. Uh, I, I'll, I'll watch. I'm curious. You know, Is he better than Jameis? We'll find out. He did okay last week, but they lost in London. But I'm really curious. Can Geno Smith take Seattle to a 3-2 and two start? And have a better start than Russell Wilson five weeks into the year. That's a storyline I can't wait to track all year. Does Geno really have a better year all around than Russell Wilson? It's pretty hard to be worse than Russell was on Thursday Night Football. So I, I am excited to see what Geno Smith can do this week against New Orleans on the road. Dallas at L.A. The Cowboys are 3-0 and with a backup quarterback, Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush starting for them. Their only loss this year came when 
Dak Prescott started for them, which is kind of hilarious and interesting. Can Cooper Rush keep it going? Meanwhile, the Rams are 2-2, two and two, and they've been kind of concerning so far this year. I'm also curious how L.A. does, because I'm hearing L.A.'s in trouble, their offense isn't very good, there's all this stuff. Uh, we'll see. I think it's actually a fairly even, interesting matchup between L.A. and Dallas, and I'm very excited. I think this game could be fun and exciting all the way till the end. Philly at Arizona. Philly's 4-0, and I think there's a chance that the Eagles embarrass the Arizona Cardinals this week. They got better coaching. They've got uh, they're better up front on the offensive and defensive line. The Cardinals' offensive line is a disaster. Philly's defensive line is terrifying. I think it's a mismatch up front uh, between Philly's defensive line and Arizona's offensive line. I think Kyler Murray's going to be running for his life on Sunday. And how does Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray play? Unfortunately, Kyler's going to have to be the hero if Arizona's going to win this football game. He's getting paid like a guy who should be the hero every single week. Getting paid a massive amount of money. But I think think Philly, I'm calling my shot here. I think Philly wins this game by a lot. Hey, things go wrong. Crazy stuff happens in the NFL all the time. I think Philly's a much better team on paper than Arizona. The question is, can they live up to what their, uh, their, I think their, their matchup would show, which is that, again, they're way better up front. They're better coached. I think Philly, man, I'd be disappointed in Philly if they lost to Arizona because I think on paper they're a much better team than the Arizona Cardinals. Sunday night football, you've got the Bengals at the Ravens. Both teams are 2-2. Two and two. It's an AFC North division matchup. Joe Burrow against Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think it's just going to be fun. I'm, I'm hoping for a good, close, intense game. It's Sunday night football. I, I think, man, it's been a while since we had a Sunday night game that I was like, wow, how awesome and fun and exciting. And I think this one is going to be... Um, I'm excited to sit down and watch this one. It's going to be really awesome and I'm just hoping for a great, fun game. I hope the same thing from Monday Night Football. You've got the Raiders at Kansas City. It's another divisional matchup, this time the AFC West. KC is 3-1. and one. The Raiders are 1-3. and three. I think Vegas is better than their record would suggest. And I just hope it's a fun, close game between Derek Carr, the Raiders, and Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. The Giants are playing the Packers in London. Uh, I expect Green Bay to win this game by a lot, too, to be totally honest. Um, Feels like a mismatch. Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, is reportedly going to play in this football game. But he's missing two top receivers, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney. I don't know, man. He's also, Daniel Jones isn't fully healthy. Uh, I think Green Bay is a much better team. I think Green Bay wins this game by a mile in London. The L.A. Chargers at Cleveland. It's a big game. Both teams are 2-2. Two and two. Uh, I honestly think it's a fairly even matchup, actually, with two teams that have got a lot of talent on their roster. And I think that L.A. at Cleveland could be fun and interesting between Justin Herbert and Jacoby Brissett. And I, I think Herbert against a good defense, that's always exciting and interesting. And I, uh, I think this could be a fun game. I think a lot of games this week that are, like, fun and close and interesting. These are some of the games that are not as interesting and not as close. You got the Bears at Minnesota. Uh, I want to see Minnesota legitimize themselves and win by a lot. The Bears are not very good, and I want to see Minnesota prove to the world that they are a team uh, that is formidable and potentially a playoff team. 
Tennessee at Washington isn't very interesting to me. Washington is one and three. Their quarterback, Carson Wentz, hasn't played great this year. He's got to play well in this game. I'm not that excited by Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. I don't really, like, ah, this game. Okay. I- I'm interested to see how Carson Wentz does because it's been a bad start to the year for him, but that's really the only storyline I care about is can Carson Wentz finally show up in this game and have a, a better performance than he's had for most of the year. Houston at Jacksonville, the Jaguars are 2-2. Two and two. Houston is winless. If, if Jacksonville is as good as I think they are, which I think they're pretty good, they they gave Philadelphia a fight last week, and Philly's pretty good. So I hit the table. I think Jacksonville should win this game easily and comfortably, and if they don't, that's a, a, a disappointment to me. Atlanta at Tampa, both teams are 2-2. Two and two. Hard to find a reason to care about this one, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the only really storyline to me, I mean, I love Marcus Mariota, the Falcons quarterback. I'll say that every time I get the chance to. Uh, Kyle Pitts, their stud tight end, is not playing in this football game. But the storyline really is Tom Brady appears to be getting a divorce. He hired a divorce a divorce lawyer. And I'm curious whether the divorce is going to affect Tom Brady on the field. I would actually imagine, if anything, it makes Tom Brady better because he's the kind of guy that I would I would think when life gets rough, he dives into work fully head-on and... Uh, I think football is kind of an escape for him. So I think it's very possible Tom Brady dominates Atlanta this week, actually. Given the news, given what's going on in his personal life, I think he might actually play better because Tom Brady has that effect. And I think when he's struggling, he dives farther into his work. He's one of those people, and he's kind of a workaholic. So I think Tom Brady could have a great weekend this week at home against Atlanta. Finally, the 49ers at Carolina. Ew. It's it's. Baker Mayfield against Jimmy Garoppolo. What a quarterback matchup. Wow, I'm so excited. I'm not. Um, on paper, the 49ers are a much better team. They should win the game. And Carolina's 1-3 right now. If they start the year 1-4, is there a chance that they, if Carolina loses this game and it's ugly, could their head coach, Matt Rule, get fired after Week 5? I think it's very possible. Keep your eye on that. I don't I don't know. It's, it's hard to get a read on that because it's you got a new quarterback. I think you want to give it a whole year to give it a, a real chance. And I don't know what Carolina would get. I don't know how Carolina would really benefit by firing Matt Rule right now unless they've got another coach in mind. Maybe they want to bring in Sean Payton and they're like, we got to fire this guy now so we can bring in the next one. That's very possible. That's actually a good idea, a good thought. I hadn't thought about that so far. You fire Matt Rule after a one and four start, and you offer Sean Payton like a hundred million dollars to come coach Baker Mayfield in Carolina. How interesting would that be? Sean Payton, the guy who saved Drew Brees' career, working with the guy who's been compared to Drew Brees a lot, Baker Mayfield. I think I'm onto something there. That's now the thing I'm rooting for. I, I like Matt Rule as a person, nothing against him. I hope he goes back and coaches college football and dominates somewhere. But uh, Sean Payton coaching Drew, you know, Drew Brees 2.0, Baker Mayfield in Carolina. That dog will hunt. That's an exciting storyline. So um, count me in for rooting for the 49ers against Carolina this week because I like Carolina. I love I'd love to live there someday. It's warm. It's fairly temperate. It's moderate. It's not a lot of nice people. I could wear the blue colors. That'd be fun. Sean Payton to, to Carolina to coach Baker Mayfield sounds awesome to me. 
Go 49ers during NFL Week 5. Wow, how about that? Okay, um, let's shift gears to... I'm gonna, you're going to see a cut here if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to talk about college football week six coming up. I'm, it starts in like, what is it? It's 6.46 a.m. So in like two and a half hours, college football week six is officially going to start. Um, I recorded the segment yesterday. I got it out on YouTube already. It's been a, you know, live on YouTube for over 24 hours now. And I think it could be fun to listen to, even if you're listening like Saturday night and college football's already come and gone. I think there, it, it might be worth listening to to hear my expectations for NFL Week 6. I'm going to cover NFL Week 6, give it a whole entire episode this week. I'm very excited about it. And I think you could listen to hear what I thought going into the week and hear how it matches up with what really happened during college football Week 6. I'm going to make a cut. I'll be right back. Uh, you'll hear me. We're, time jump. It'll be daytime. I'll be wearing a slightly different shirt. Same. It's a black shirt, but I'm not wearing the undershirt and... Uh, It'll be sunny and bright and green. So uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I don't know how to transition to this cut, but anyway, let's talk about college football week six. This weekend is college football week six, and there are eight games that I cannot wait to watch. I would call them eight games you should pay attention to. Game number one is number eight ranked Tennessee at number 25 LSU. The game is in the bayou. It's an SEC game with two top 25 teams and what I find exciting here is you've got two interesting quarterbacks, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee and Jaden Daniels at LSU. Both of them can run around and make plays and throw the ball at a high level. Should be really fun. I'm really excited. I think this is going to be a really interesting, exciting uh, SEC matchup. Again, with two quarterbacks, you can make a lot of high-level plays. Game number two is number 17-ranked TCU at number 19-ranked Kansas. This is the biggest game in Kansas football in years and years and years. They have not been to a bowl game since 2008. It's been an awful run for the Kansas Jayhawks on the football side of things. They're a great basketball program. Hey, football's back, though. They're 5-0 and right now. TCU is 4-0. and TCU not only upset Oklahoma, they, I don't even know if you call it an upset, they embarrassed Oklahoma last week. And uh, you got two teams that are both undefeated. Should be really fun. It's going to be an exciting high-scoring game. At least that's what I'm hoping for. And Kansas's quarterback, Jalen Daniels, is a stud, man. He's got 11 touchdown passes, only one interception. He's run for another five touchdowns. In five games, he's got 16 total touchdowns. And uh, Kansas TC, it's one of those, I would call them like a guilty pleasure Big 12 games where you want to watch a bunch of scoring. I'm hoping for that. A high-level, you know, high-scoring game. It's going to be fun and intense till the end. Um, my fear is that the, the Kansas... Amazing start's going to end with a loss to TCU, quite frankly. Their schedule so far has been a lot of, like, Duke and a lot of not-that-impressive college football teams so far. This is a big game. Can Kansas win a big game at home as they revitalize their football program? Game number three, unranked Arkansas at number 23, Mississippi State. It's a good, old-fashioned SEC game. Uh, Arkansas lost to Alabama last week pretty badly. They're now unranked. But I don't, despite being out of the top 25, Arkansas is still a really fun program to watch. And Mississippi State is 4-1. They're running Mike Leach's offense. They're going to throw the ball all over the yard. K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback for Arkansas, is fun. Will Rogers for Mississippi State is fun. It's going to be a great matchup, and I'm really excited. I think if it's probably not the most important game in college football this weekend, but if you're looking for a fun matchup that's going to be good and interesting, 
Uh, couldn't hurt to turn on Arkansas at Mississippi State. Game number four is number 11 ranked Utah at number 18, UCLA. UCLA is 5-0. and Utah is 4-1. and Their only loss was week one to an SEC program, Florida. And you got two quarterbacks in this game that are really fun to watch. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR at UCLA, has has never really shown what I've been hoping would be like high-level NFL quarterback-level play. But man, this dude, DTR, is one of the most talented quarterbacks in all of college football. Can run, can throw. His arm is like so much better than anybody realizes. Like the effort level, he just effortlessly throws incredible throws all over the football field with ease. And uh, DTR is going to be exciting to watch in a big matchup hosting Utah. Then Utah's got a fun quarterback, Cam Rising. He's got a fun personality, kind of this long-haired cowboy guy, drives an old-style pickup truck. I like watching him. And uh, he should be fun to watch. So Utah-UCLA should be a good matchup this weekend. Game number five, um, there's really only one reason to watch this game. It's number five ranked Clemson at Boston College. I I don't know. This game feels like trouble. On the road at Boston College. uh, I've been... I really want to watch to see DJ Uyungle, the Clemson quarterback, because he had a breakout game two weeks ago against Wake Forest. He was solid last week, but not that impressive I'm curious how he does Saturday um, against a a lesser opponent, Boston College, a team that doesn't have a great record. They're kind of middling. I don't know. On the road, Boston College got a decent quarterback, Phil Yurkovich. I'm just curious, is this a trap for Clemson where you kind of fall asleep at the wheel and play a bad game against a really good football team? Or not, not a great football team, but I guess my fear is that Clemson could play down to the level of their opponent, and this could be kind of a trap for Clemson. Game number six, I think this is probably the most exciting and interesting game of the weekend. Washington State on the road at number six, USC. I am watching, I I love quarterbacks. The reason why I love college football is I love these young quarterbacks who have NFL potential. And man, Cameron Ward at Washington State and Caleb Williams at USC. Two of them and like Bryce Young are probably the top three most talented quarterbacks in all of college football. That's blasphemous. Where? Why am I not talking about C.J. Stroud? No, no. Cameron Ward, Cam Ward, this guy at Washington State, came out of nowhere. He played last year as a freshman at a school in San Antonio called, called Incarnate Word. I'd never heard of that football program before. Incarnate Word's coach went to be the offensive coordinator at Washington State. He brought Cameron Ward with him. And this dude, to go from Incarnate Word last year to your sophomore year, you're on the road at USC, Washington State is 4-1, and one. USC is 5-0, and oh. and these two quarterbacks, man, are Cameron Ward's ability to run around and extend plays is on the same level as like a Patrick Mahomes or a Bryce Young or a Josh Allen. Um, this dude can run, can throw, and I, man, we saw USC struggle uh, against Oregon State. I think Washington State is better than Oregon State, and their quarterback can make plays. I, I just, all I want from this game, I want Washington State to challenge USC, and I want a game that's high-scoring and fun and exciting in the fourth quarter. I think we're going to get that. Uh, But you're watching to see, can Cameron Ward challenge USC? He came out of nowhere. He's this incredibly talented quarterback, and I cannot wait to see what happens. Game number seven is South Carolina at number 13, Kentucky. Uh, Will Levis is a future NFL quarterback, so I'm told by everybody. Now he played not great last week against Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, he had a good game, but he had a moment at the end where he had an opportunity to win the game in the final minute. Didn't make it happen. He also wasn't great against Florida. So 
I'm interested to watch and evaluate Will Levis against South Carolina. And then South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler has four touchdown passes and seven interceptions. He at one point was viewed as a top 10 pick in the NFL. Now he's fallen and fallen and fallen. Um, but he's he has a lot of talent. He's still learning. He's young. He's growing as a quarterback. And I'm excited to watch Spencer Rattler on the road against a good team like Kentucky. And then game number eight. If you don't know about this game, if let's say this. If, if you know about this game, then you know which one I haven't mentioned yet. But if you don't know, the game is Texas A&M at number one Alabama. Alabama moved up in the rankings. They're now the number one team. And the question is, will Alabama quarterback Bryce Young play in this football game? I have said Bryce Young is my favorite quarterback to watch in all of football. NFL, college, it doesn't matter. I'd rather watch him than Patrick Mahomes. I am so much enjoying watching Bryce Young play football this year. Uh, he sprained his AC joint in his shoulder. He may or may not play. It's a game-time decision. And it's a big deal because there's drama from this offseason where Bama head coach Nick Saban gave a quote saying that every player was bought in Texas A&M's number one recruiting class this offseason. So there's bad blood here. There's drama. A&M has a reason to be angry and furious and want to beat Alabama. Bama, uh, they're undefeated. A&M is 2-1 since switching quarterbacks to Max Johnson. I give A&M a real legitimate chance here. But remember, Alabama, I, I would say, blew out Arkansas. They were up 28-7 to last week with a backup quarterback after Bryce Young got hurt. They won with Jalen Milrow, a guy I'd never heard of out of Texas. So Alabama is, is still capable of winning even without Bryce Young. Should be a, a fun, exciting game. And uh, I think that if, you, if you're Alabama and you lose this football game, but you don't have Bryce Young playing, I think at the end of the year, they're still going to be able to make it into the top uh, four teams and go to the college football playoff because the committee will say, well, remember that one game they lost when they lost to A&M. They didn't have Bryce Young. So just a lot of implications here, a lot of bad blood. And will Bryce Young play? I have no idea. I am very excited to find out. It's going to be an amazing weekend of college football. I cannot wait. TCU at Kansas. The biggest game in Kansas in years. They're 5-0. They haven't made a bowl game since 2008. Now they're playing undefeated TCU at home with a chance to win, and their quarterback is so much fun. Uh, the A&M-Bama game is going to be awesome. It's at Alabama. They're the number one team in the nation. Their starting quarterback may not play against a rival that hates them. And then, man, the thing to pay attention to, the best quarterback matchup this weekend Cameron Ward on the road at USC against Caleb Williams. Two future NFL quarterbacks, in my opinion, and maybe two guys who could be franchise quarterbacks. Cameron Ward burst onto the scene. He's very impressive. He's really good. Pay attention to this game. Cameron Ward against USC. Caleb Williams, Cameron Ward. Best quarterback matchup of the weekend, and I am hoping for a lot of fun games. I'll be bummed. If TCU Kansas is a blowout, I'll be really sad. If a&M Bama's a blowout, I'll be sad. If USC blows out Washington State, I'm going to be disappointed. But at the very least, you're going to lean on games like, I think Tennessee, LSU is going to be fun. Arkansas against Mississippi State is going to be interesting. Utah, UCLA, that's probably going to be a fun game. So even if the games that have the best storylines aren't as close and compelling, there are games to fall back on that are going to be fun and interesting. And I'm just telling you, week six in college football is a massive weekend. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And this is what I've been waiting for all year. It's one of these weeks where jam-packed full of fun storylines, great matchups, a lot of drama. It's going to be an outstanding weekend in college football.
All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that segment. Um, listen to this, guys. Can you hear this? I don't know how to fix this problem. If anyone knows how to like get the squeaking out of my my seat in my truck, that would be awesome. I can't figure it out. If anyone knows how to like get that squeak sound to stop, like here. Anyone know? Anyone know how to do that? I have no idea. I don't even know if you can hear it unless I put the microphone right by it, but I hear it pretty loud. It's really frustrating to me personally. So if anyone has any idea, let me know. Um, Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for tuning in. I am excited to watch football this week. For the first time uh, all year, I don't have another job to work at. The canopy's coming. We got three weeks till I pick up the canopy. It's actually here. I just can't. I had to schedule an install date, and they were backed up. So the canopy has arrived. It's coming. Um, Last week of October, I'm going to install it and then drive off into the sunset and record podcasts remotely. It's going to be awesome. So... I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum-bam, we are done.